You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be reading an email, so you don't have to. And we are gathered here today to talk about Kablam. Sounded somewhat religious. Yeah, I know. Why? Well, you know, it just happened. I didn't mean to say it, and I did. Uh, Is it a new catchphrase? Yes. Okay. Oh God. So, but we said, I said last week, rather stupidly, podcasts don't get emails anymore. And obviously, I didn't mean entirely because some podcasts get one or two, but. Most podcasts don't get many unless they actually put a call out on Facebook or whatever. However, you made me read out the email address. And so this week we have got a 3,000 word email. And also a couple of smaller ones. One of which is the next edition of Logan's Look. Okay. So that's Adrian Sturrock's eight-year-old son with whom Adrian is going through the entire history of Doctor Who, televised history, in sequence, and they are emailing us to let us know how they're getting along. So here are Logan's thoughts about the first half of season 22. On Attack of the Cybermen, he says, I liked the Cybermen being back because of how strong they are and how smart they are, and because there were lots of them. I like the Cryons too, because they live in cold places, even though they looked a bit weird. And I was pleased that Lytton and his policemen were back too. I also liked how the TARDIS changed its appearance and didn't look like a police box when it landed in the junkyard. I didn't remember what had happened previously in Tomb of the Cybermen or the Tenth Planet. Father says, Note, it has been only two years since we saw both those stories, so I'm not sure that many members of the general public would have remembered these stories from 17 years earlier on original transmission. Logan continues, I found this story fairly normal and not confusing, and I didn't think the violence was too bad, even though it was rated M. Score, 8 out of 10. M is the Australian rating for mature audiences. Mm. That's their equivalent of... uh, Oh, it's 15 maybe I'm not sure okay. wow. that, I think it's the highest rating standard rating they've got they're a bit yeah. like America so they'd have, would they have an R? well America has an R and yes. Australia has an M which is the equivalent of the R really? yes so Attack of the Cybermen is the equivalent of an R rating in America yes but an R rating is open to everybody no, R means restricted, isn't it? No, it, it only restricted by you must be accompanied by an adult. Okay. Right. This is the it's a bit like an A, an A rating used to be, isn't it? Uh, well, an <laughs> A rating was if you were under seven, you had to be accompanied by an adult. An R rating is if you're under 18, you must be accompanied by an adult. Mm. Okay. So there's a slight difference. But essentially, it comes to the same that anybody can go in and see an R-rated movie. And I, th- I don't know because I've never looked it up, but I get review copies of Australian stuff through all the time, and M stands for mature, right, as opposed okay. to restricted. But I get the impression it's the same. You could probably 
show M-rated movies to minors as long as there's an adult in mm. tow. Well, let's, I don't hope, know. let's hope so. Then. But America has a rating above R, which is the X, but the X is seen as commercial death. So movie makers... I thought that was R. I thought R, R no, no, rating no. was what they were trying to... They always tried to avoid. No, R rating is what Because Deadpool's an R-rated movie. Yeah, no, there's lots of R-rated and movies. and The Exorcist. No, X is the one they try and avoid. Okay. X is... You can only go in if you're over 18, and that's seen as commercial death. Right, okay. <clears throat> anyway, on to Vengeance on Varos. This story was good, and so was Sill, although he was a bit... Fu- we'll probably get emails now about the M rating yeah. and the R rating, yeah. won't we? Although Sill was a bit fussy at times, and I liked how he had a pretty weird costume. I also liked the couple who were sitting at home watching TV all the time and commenting on what was happening on their TV screen. I liked the Purple Zone and the hallucinations in the Punishment Dome. It was okay when John Dahl was tied up to the wall and being tortured. <laughs> <laughs> And that was a uh, that was an X-rated story, probably. Then score seven and a half out of ten. Now, if they are in Australia, then right. if he said the M, then um, Australia was a lot more inclined to censor Doctor Who in the past. So their censorship and their um, certification probably reflects the fact that they're a bit more sensitive about stuff like that. Awesome. Hence, Attack of the Cybermen being the equivalent of. I would guess M. But they did do all the censorship was in the 1960s when we were as well. uh, Yes, but we weren't, were we? Because they were censoring Doctor Who that we were showing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what I'm saying is... Isn't that where there's that glut of deleted scenes? That's really ironic. Yeah. (laughs) All the scenes we have available are the really violent ones. Really violent ones. Yeah. (laughs) Because Australia basically cut the episodes away, threw away the episodes and kept <laughs> kept the violence. <laughs> kept the bits they didn't want. <sighs> it's just really annoying. To, yeah. It's so annoying, Mary, uh, Australians. <clears throat> I've had to read Sorry. this last one in the proper acts. Mark of the Rani. Okay. <clears throat> this story was good, and I liked how we got to see two Time Lord villains instead of one. The Rani was good. We haven't seen her before, but the Doctor said he knew her. The Rani and the Master argued quite a lot. It was good that the story was set in the past, so we could see what that era looked like. It was annoying that the miners kept getting so violent because they couldn't sleep. I was a bit amazed about the baby Tyrannosaurus Rex model, because how did the BBC know what it would have looked like? Score, (laughs) 8 out of 10. And that is Logan's look for this week. And I guess in a couple of weeks or so, we'll be back with um, the rest of season 22. I always look forward to these. Uh, We'll leave Declan till after we've reviewed... um, I keep forgetting what to say. Kablam. You can can read his email and we'll just (laughs) go to bed. (laughs) But meanwhile... meanwhile, Celebrate Christmas. Really enjoyed Kablam, says Gary Akers. Oh, or as I've accidentally, um, I've accidentally typoed his name in copy in this, says Gay Akers. Okay. Which sounds like a holiday camp. Hmm. Uh, he says, a fun romp with... Or a, or a camp holiday. Well, 
don't know what kind of holidays you've been on. A fun romp with creepy robots and a really solid mystery. It had terrific material for all of the leads that actually called on their individual backgrounds and for the well-characterised guest stars. And for the first time this season, the Doctor is actually the leader of the group, not just an equal ensemble member and the prime driver of the resolution, as Doctor Who should be. But why, oh why, does Jodie need to strike a pose every time she uses the Sonic? (laughs) And that's from Gary Akers. Now, there's a couple of points, actually, in there that I'd quite like to reply to. Okay. Because I think they're worth bringing up. He says... Okay, now I'll go to to that one second. Striking the pose with the Sonic. I quite like it. Well, she admitted in an interview recently, or just before the series in the promotional, that she never seen Doctor Who? Right. So presumably she's never seen how any of the other Doctors uses the sonic screwdriver, only ever seen them posing in pictures. So she's essentially doing on screen what they've only ever really done in photographs. Right. So, But every Doctor does it slightly differently. Yeah, so they you do. you get Tennant listening to it. And, and but it's Matt all the flailing... Throwing yeah. it around. But it's the flailing arms and stuff. Yeah. Because there's always loads of publicity photos of the Doctors, with, you know, in these weird sonic screwdriver poses, aren't there? I mean, that's become a feature of the new series, hasn't it? Yeah. And so I'm guessing she's seen these photographs and took, just took it as read that that's how you deal with the sonic screwdriver and has been doing it on screen. In terms of individual Doctor quirks, it's not the worst thing that she could be No. Doing. She could be doing the breathing thing that Peter Davison did, couldn't she? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Oh, and the other thing is, and this has become a thing that I've seen people repeating all over the internet. He says, for the first time this season, the Doctor is actually the leader of the group and the prime driver of the resolution. Now, I think this is becoming bedded in as a sort of groupthink thing, because in both the historical episodes, she had to stand back, and we talked about this last week, Mm. she had to stand back and let history take its course like the Hartnell crew did back in the 60s. But in the Arachnid story, she solved and resolved that problem. Mm -hmm. And in the Saranga story, she solved and resolved that problem. Mm. And in the first episode, she solved and resolved that problem. And in episode two, although it wasn't a problem, it was that race, Mm. she was the one who got them out of various problems along the way and essentially saw them through to the end of the race. So actually, it's only in the two historical episodes where she hasn't solved and resolved the problem. I guess there is there is a degree of of passivity in the way that she... So she resolves the problem, yeah. but in the spider one, the guy still shoots the spider, so she, she fails to stop the spider being shot. And in the first episode, she fails to stop the guy being killed as he's... Being, as he's falling off the... Well, no, because the, she kills him, doesn't she? No, I thought... <sighs> no, she kills something, him. Something happened that that she got crossed with some of the Yeah, I know, guys. but that was uh, rather hypocritical, really. Right. She killed the bad guy right. by turning his own device on him. You remember right. he'd left the device to turn people into mush. Right. And right. she uh, did some jiggery-pokery with the device so it turned him okay. into mush instead. Right. So he was already on his way to turning into mush. That's the equivalent of short-circuiting a, yeah. an engine or something, isn't it, really? But she killed him. Mm. And basically, the other guy just tipped him off the edge of the crane 
as he was already down. Yeah. So she had no real reason to get angry with the other guy for tipping him off the crane because she'd already killed him. And I guess this is the first episode where we've actually seen a bad guy actually die in front of us. Yeah. I mean, I don't agree with... I don't agree that that she's she's sort of following her companions. But I think it's it's not like David Tennant destroying the Arachnos or the Arachnos in a kind of a... In kind of a sort of grandstanding, <clears throat> sort of dark moment. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of bad guys getting away and teleporting away, which is why we've had the rumours that or he'll be back or that monster will be back. But basically, a lot of them have been sent to their deaths. The first yeah. one is yeah. dying, and it's just that we don't actually see the moment of his death. Yeah, in the Rosa episode. Uh, what was he called? I can't even remember. Krakos mm. or something. Yeah. He's ba- at the end. He's basically being sent to his death. Mm. He's been sent back as far back in time as mm. that wristwatch mm. thing can go, and I'm assuming that that essentially means back to before the Earth was there. So basically, you'll just materialise in empty space and evaporate or whatever, it's whatever you do when you materialise in empty space, asphyxiate and then evaporate, whatever. But but you know what I mean. It's it's been happening. It's yeah. just that we haven't seen it. Yeah. yeah. But I think the we haven't seen it is probably what's fueling. Yeah. I don't think there's a lot of fuel for it, really. I think a lot of this talk is coming out of nowhere. Mm. Not that I'm getting on Gary's case because mm. I think he makes good points. But mm. but um, and he's I just written, think and he's written in, which is you know. Well, yeah. <laughs> But I just think there's a couple of things that are sort of going around among fandom that are starting to get taken as gospel, which are really just quite subjective misreadings of what's actually going on on screen, really. Anyway, we've got this big long email from Declan, so I'll ask you both to put it in a nutshell what you thought of uh, Kablam, and then we'll give it a score, and then we'll move on. Okay. Uh, Simon. Really? <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to do it differently this week. Go on then. We did differently a few weeks ago where I said, give us your score first and then we'll talk about it. Okay. This week, I'm going to tell you what you thought about it and see if I'm right. Oh, that sounds fun. <laughs> but it's not that much fun because I've already seen what Simon thinks about it because he blabbed on Facebook. Oh, couldn't Did he? Yeah, I couldn't help it. Oh, okay. He didn't think much of it. Oh, really? No, five out of ten. I wasn't going to ask you for a score until after we'd done the nutshell. Well, I suppose I did the nutshell, so okay, yeah, five out yeah. of ten, fair enough. Can I go now? Yes. I give it a 7 out of 10. Well, it's not much of a magic trick if Simon's already <laughs> said how he feels. And I've already written a review, so yes. I gave it a 7 out of 10. And I, to be honest, I didn't say exactly, but I thought it was entertaining enough, but I thought it suffered from all the things the rest of the series has been suffering from, despite the fact that some people seem to think it was different. I didn't think it was markedly different. No, I didn't. So I gave it a 7 out of 10, because I think the whole series has been quite good. Mm. Do you know what I mean, though? <laughs> but, that's, yeah. but that's the most damning thing you can say about mm. it's been quite good. Well, no, I could say more damning things about certain Doctor Who seasons in the 1980s, but well, let's not go there. So I'm going to say, Matt, that you're going to give it an 8 out of 10 and say you really enjoyed it. No. Okay. I didn't mind it, I think. <laughs> um, are you telling me I'm the one here who liked it the most? <laughs> I think you are. I, don't, for, I could tell you what Lee thought as well, if you want. Anyway. Well, go on, then. Lee thought the same as me. Did he? Mm, we had a very brief conversation on Facebook Messenger today, and I was very surprised, because I thought he would have... He said he, he thought it was... He, he, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this. He thought it was on a level with Curse of the Black Spot. 
Golly. I liked yeah. that though. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mind that. I didn't yeah. think it's as bad as people say, but yeah. How odd. Anyway, Matt, you were in the middle of saying. <sighs> I'm trying to remember what I thought about, <laughs> about it. Well, um, given... I, th- I thought it was slightly uninspiring. I thought. I think if you're going to do an episode set in a kind of an outer space version of Amazon, mm. you need to make it really outer space. And I know they had the Attack of the Clones conveyor belt mm. sequence, which was really well done and probably slightly, for me, better well better done Did you than think the Attack it of was? the Clones. It was better than the, the Attack of the Clones one, oh. which felt like an animation, an animated yeah. cutaway. Yeah. And this, I sort of bought that they were sort of, on these conveyor belts. Yeah. Falling off doing a high five though was, yeah, oh my God. Yeah, but was... actually, actually that I, I wanted something to happen that would actually, that I wouldn't just say, oh, that was okay. Even if it was something like, oh, that's ridiculous. I just wanted something to happen. I was watching it and they volunteered for jobs at this Amazon-like place. And for the first 10, 15 minutes, it felt like I was working in the warehouse along <laughs> yeah. with them because they were doing a sort of slow build of a drama. But I just didn't feel any drama in it. And I think that's been... The one good thing about this episode is it's another... It's another... It's another piece of evidence to try and work out what this series is actually doing and how well it's doing it and and what the Chibnall approach to Doctor Who is, I think. It's just... Well, as I said a couple of weeks ago or last week, it's just Russell T Davis at 33 and a third. Yeah, it's just slowed down, toned down version of Tenant. I really. got a third of the way through, and I thought to myself, if I had a power cut now, and it went off, I probably wouldn't get back to watching it again. And that's as damning as I can be on it. Wow. And I think it's a it's a personal reaction. I know it is because there's plenty of people who seem to like it, and and I couldn't. I was talking to my eight year old daughter, and she said, "Yeah, it was all right." She said, but she said it was a. It was a bit boring. But it was Planet of the Ood with all the juicy bits taken out. Mm. But this it series... Was, sorry. I was just going to say it was absolute filler, middle of the series episode that sort of takes a spin on something we all know, does something not massively interesting with it. There were a couple of nice bits towards the end of the yes, episode, I've, but it took yes. a long time to get there. Yeah. And the first sort of 45 minutes, 40, 45 minutes of it was just... Mid-series filler, but the bubble wrap. So the but this is yeah that wasn't the interesting thing. But this is something (laughs) that's happening throughout because this is the same as the poison sea. That there's a really interesting concept which is bubble wrap that kills you, and they introduce it just before the end, and don't really develop it. If this was if this was an earlier, if this was in another series. They would have like terror of the autumn. They would have started with the bubble wrap and really or really developed it. Say one thing my daughter says. She said, but earlier on they were bursting the bubble wrap. They were cl- cracking it and everything like that. So why didn't they blow up? I said, well, because it was different bubble wrap. But actually, she made a good point. Which is that if they'd gone to do that, could have been a really but nice a real, tension building. Really if they drama. hadn't, yeah. if they said, yeah. no, don't do that. It's bad luck, or it's CFCs, or, or whatever. The director all the way through, and then you realise at the end they could have blown themselves up at any moment. Well, if the director it needed to be seeded a bit better, if the director had focused unusually on the bubble wrap, mm. and you weren't, or you knew that something was killing people, but you weren't quite sure, because yeah. the idea that it's the bubble wrap, the bubble wrap is the thing that you never think of, you don't see. It's just the thing that goes inside the parcel. So you're expecting a bomb. Mm. And it turns out to be the thing wrapping the bomb up. And that's a brilliant idea. Yeah. But 
it's not seeded throughout the story. You just sort of get it as a throwaway yeah, towards yeah. the end. And the same said of the uh, the actual antagonist at the end. There was a real lack of seeding there. You know, he was just like this. He was this dim guy, and yeah. then all of a sudden he turns out to be a bit like Anna Maxwell Martin in The Long Game, because yeah. I don't think they really pulled that off either. But at least you got that a bit sooner, and she wasn't as dozy. So when it turned out that she was there as a spy, it wasn't as big a shock. I quite liked the fact that it was him, mm-hmm. because that was a twist. Yes, it was. And it was probably the first time this year we've been surprised by anything. Mm. But I liked more the fact that his prospective girlfriend got killed. Because you were expecting them yeah, to say that. Yeah, because then his reaction was a, was a real Genuine, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was so little made of that prior to that point that when the Doctor starts calling her name up as a way to try and talk him down at the end, it was like, it just felt like, oh, he barely knows this girl. He just fancies her a bit. Mm-hmm. And I also quite like the fact that it was him because it's another thing that this series is doing, which is telling stories from from the ground up rather than... So if this was a Stephen Moffat or a Russell T. Davis story, it would be about the potential destruction of the galaxy or the central, mm. potential murder of all these people. And the small human stories would be either incidental details or just small parts of the cog that generate this. Whereas these episodes, most of these episodes actually have been about the individuals involved mm. and the bigger picture is almost incidental mm. like what he was planning on doing was sort of thrown away but it's about the the little thing it's about his motivations and about lee max character yeah everybody's driven by driven by very human emotions in this series so that... it's like greed in the woman who fell to earth or it's racism in rosa or it's it's hunger in uh, the, uh, the Saranga conundrum. Or misguided, sort of misguided, what's the word for it? I was going to say keyboard warriorism, but it's not really. Mm. But it's sort of vigilante eco-terrorism of some kind in this. It's, mm. well, it's, in fact... It's sort of advanced kind of workers' rights. Yeah. Which is slightly... But so, it's sort of misguided workers' rights. It, well, you'd hope so, because this is a very unusual thing. For And I've picked up on these comments, and I kind of agree with some of them, just not the extremes of them, that this does have the superficial appearance of the Doctor defending a massive corporation at the expense of the workers because the solution is, well, we won't we won't have a cap on the number of menial workers doing these boring jobs anymore. I, there is an amelioration for that, which I brought up in the review, and I'll get to it in a minute. In a minute. I was going to talk about something else before that, and now you've carried on and I've forgotten what it was. Okay. So anyway, but, 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 it's a nice surprise. I thought it was a much nicer surprise than when the girl dies mm-hmm. or when the boy turns out to be the baddie. It was a nice surprise when it turned out to be the company that sent for the Doctor. Mm. I thought that was the... It was a nice surprise, but again, it was blindsided from it, but not blindsided because it was clever, like some people seem to be saying. Blindsided because there wasn't any kind of, as you say, seeding or... I don't think you... No, I think that was seeded. I thought that was seeded quite nicely because all throughout the episode... They kept looking at, well, how could this message have got sent? Mm. 
And it always got back to, well, only the computer would have access to this. Mm. And then a couple of minutes later, well, where else could it have come from? Mm. Oh, it could have come from there, but only the computer. It always came, kept coming back to only the computer could have done it. And you kept getting told, basically, only the computer could have done it. Until eventually the revelation that the computer did it mm. is still a surprise. And it's also seeded, so I thought that was done nice. It's also seeded through misdirection as well. That the whole thing looked like a Russell T. Davis story, so you started assuming that it was going to be like Voyage of the Damned, mm. which mm. is sort of technology gone wrong. But equally, a computer, if it was going to say help me, it would explain what the problem was, wouldn't it? Well, I it's, know, I know it's, it's, it's Doctor Who. Like a Lee comment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, I don't know, it just didn't sit right with me at all. Anyway. No, I thought that but maybe was the fine. Comu- maybe the computer would be so literal that mm. help me is just the the fewest number of words to express what's needed. Mm. Mm. And it's sent to the doctor. So Knowing that the doctor will come and find out. It's kind of yeah. the computer picturing the path from this message to the doctor solving the problem. Mm. Mm. I thought it was quite... Which happened. I thought it was... I think, it was do quite, you know, in a funny way, I think I would have bought it more in the Moffat era because this... That's the kind this, of thing that happens there. Yeah, because this series works at such a basic level and I don't mean that so in a derogatory sense in in as much as you haven't got this whole everyone knows who the doctor is and who you know whereas in that era you can almost imagine a system that's been running for that long would figure out who's the most intelligent person in the area the doctor i think a lot of the stories this year have either been have either revolved around moffat-esque or russell t davis-esque plots it's just that they've been so low down in the mix, you barely notice them. Because mm. Rosa, essentially, the somebody's there to change time, we'd better stop them from changing time. It's so Stephen Moffat, it's untrue, really. It's just the way they play it out just doesn't feel remotely like Stephen Moffat. Mm. Mm. Now, the idea that the company is running itself, is that the... Because, okay, two things about that. One... All the people who've been moaning that Doctor Who's gone to PC, and here you've got the Doctor coming in and saving Amazon, right? Mm. From the, the 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 socialist warrior, whoever it is, whatever. From the workers' rights guy. Yeah, actually, yeah, because we, we're so used to the technology's bad thing. Yeah, yeah. But it, it, well, that's what the complaints, well, the criticisms have been about. What, they're saying it, that... Because the Doctor's supposed to, in general, the Doctor you would expect... Mm. Would defend the humans from the machines, the yeah. machine, or mm. the company, mm. or the big institutions. And then there's that's not where you've got a an amelioration for that. Well, I think because I well we've only all watched it once, have we? Yeah. Mm. Right, and I went back afterwards, and I didn't have time to watch the whole thing, but I went through and looked at scenes, and I had the dialogue up on the subtitles. And I was looking through bits of dialogue and I was trying to find it. And I was sure when I got to the end of it the first time that I wouldn't find it and I didn't find it. But I couldn't swear for certain that there's not anything in there. But I think this company is working not for profit because it's running itself and it's only running for the benefit of the people who order parcels. Okay. So I think this is actually a picture of what a socialist industrialist future would look like where you have organisations like Amazon, mm. but they run only for the See, benefit been, of the customers. Would it would be nicer if it explored the idea, this idea that in the future technology will free us up. We will 
in theory, have lives that don't centre around our jobs. Yeah. When I was a kid, yeah. science fiction stories were always about a time in the future when the machines were running everything and people just lived a life of leisure. Yeah, or, or a life of exploration or yeah, yeah, discovery. That's, that's not how it's presented here. Not it's these days, no, no. explicitly as Lee, the Mac, opposite. Lee Mac having to scrape money together for two trips home. Yeah. And yeah, a yeah. woman who only gets one gift... And that's from the HR manager. But that's kind of the... I didn't get the feeling that that was, that was solved by the doctor's actions. I didn't but it's a, that. Mm, but mm. that's a... I uh, can't think of the word I want. But that's, uh, that doesn't work. Because if only 10% of the people are working, mm. and by working, you can only just scrape this money together, mm. that means 90% of the population are not working, are either idle rich... Mm. So 90% are idle, rich, and 10% are working, or else the 90% are even worse off than he is. And if that's the case, who's buying the products from this company? Mm. But they say at some point that there is a big... I mean, the, 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 what the actions after it are to increase the workforce from 10% to well, where, whatever yeah. 90%. So presumably there has to be... Yes, but how long has it been running on just 10%? Yeah. This is what I'm saying. Yeah. You can say what you like in the dialogue, but you have to present it on screen. Yeah. And if what they're There's presenting on screen, in dialogue. yeah, the... if if what they're presenting on screen is nobody works, then apart from ten percent, then what they're saying is nobody needs to work. But I think what they were presenting, well, I can't remember the dialogue, but it was talking about an employment crisis, and that the ten percent isn't that's all we can get to work in this in this warehouse. They were saying that only ten percent of this workforce was. That's 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 what this company has ethically decided is to give ten percent of this company over to human workers because employment is so needed. But but they don't give the impression that employment is so needed. Well, I think there's there's dialogue about yes, but that's what I mean. Employment crises mm. and but and it doesn't work as just dialogue. You have a, to show it. Yeah, there's you can't just say it. Showing. There was an awful lot of telling. This but if it's told, then that 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 overrules any showing, isn't it? No, they it's the other show, way around. Well, they didn't show the idle rich. Well, you can say <laughs> so you can a, say character gap. X didn't blow his head off, but if you show him blowing his head off, that rather overrule. Okay. You've got to remember so, the thing about dialogue. But, but if you say dialogue... character X blew his head off, and then you didn't see character X either blowing his head off or not blowing his head off, that means you assume he's blown his head off. But. No, but Matt. So in this, in this, but Matt, they, in but this, Matt, they, in this, but they Matt, talk, they talk but about, Matt, yes. but Matt, yeah. dialogue can lie, pictures can't. Yeah, so but there weren't, got pi- to... there weren't pictures showing anybody outside of this workforce. <sighs> this is what I'm saying. We saw the workers in the company. We didn't see, we didn't see what was happening away from the workforce. We were only told about it. Mm. So you can't construe from seeing what was happening to the other thing. You have to take what was said as, as We saw truth. a moon... That was entirely given over to producing things that were being sent in packets to a population that were buying them. Right. Right. That's an entire yeah, they, they moon the name, given over they, to it. Didn't they give the name of who they were specifically selling to? Was it Just the one planet. was, wasn't it? Just I mean, the one planet. Age, so if an entire moon is given over to producing stuff to sell to this one planet, mm. then the people on that one planet can afford to buy these things. And that's the inherent I inconsistency. That's where the clarity wasn't there. It was... Yeah, for what? Why did they need to be working? Lee Mack was. In... I thought it was quite clear in the thing that these were. There was a massive employment problem. They were so talking who's about a massive buying employment the product. Problem. 
Yeah, but I don't think that. But it was quite clear that there's a massive employment problem in the galaxy, and that companies are forced to have like quotas mm. of for, of workforce to give people jobs. That's the whole point. Of, isn't that the whole the whole point of the episode? And that's why she agreed to then go up to ninety percent at the end to okay. give more people a job. Well, that, yeah. that was the whole point of the episode. Yes, but it? the episode didn't show that, is what I'm saying. Okay, but it, it mentioned it several times throughout. Yes, but and mentioning it showed, something it showed, is not the same as showing it. And it showed an, an, an employer, it showed Lee Mack having been forced to work in order to raise money for his children. This is what, this is what it did show. It showed these workers being forced to work. Yes, it showed it showed these four workers being forced to work, but what it showed was an affluent universe. It kept saying no, it no, wasn't it affluent. It suggested it, you can you're construing an affluent universe because it's because it's selling it's, something. Yes. Okay, but that's not showing us an affluent universe. Well, what is it, it showing well, it's us? Showing, it's showing, it's showing us a workforce that's forced to work, and it's it's, it showed us it's showing people. us an HR manager talking about an employment crisis. And if you, yeah, but you've shown three people, you're, you're assuming that that's, that's like representative of this work. They showed us Amazon. Is there a <laughs> massive employment problem in this country? But you're, Is you're, there a massive employment but, problem in America? But you're construing something laterally and suggesting that this, they're showing something which is overruling what it explicitly said. And the, the it, reason why Amazon survives is because lots of people have got enough disposable income to buy products from Amazon. I think that's the, yeah, that's the and that's, that's what the that's episode the is showing. Is that yeah, you're right. It's showing this workforce who are saying they need to work in order to send money back home. But somewhere there are people with money who are buying all this stuff, which is making this company so successful. Yeah. And now that, what you might that, that contra that and have is you, that and have maybe you... they're trying to show an allegory for Polish, Bulgarian, whatever immigrants coming over to Britain. In other words, leaving whatever the planet was called to go to the moon to get jobs in cheap warehouses so they can send money home to Poland to their families in Poland or Bulgaria or whatever. But if that's the case, it wasn't very clear about that either. Okay. Because that's where I mean, the products were, were going to as well. I mean, if, even if you think of it as a as as an allegory for it Amazon, was woolly then Amazon is, is a, what it is. Amazon is a terrible place to work. Well, I'm not saying it's not a it's terrible place to work. It's people being paid minimum wage. And there are warehouses here that people <clears> are being, being paid minimum wage. Yes, absolutely. Things. And I think that's what it was paralleling. Well, I that's what it was, it was trying to. It was a very really simple, yeah. simple parallel. But, but, then, but then why at the end was the Doctor fighting for the system? Then? Because it's kind of inferring the system. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that's what the criticism is. That's why I don't... That's why I'm... I'm I kind that's, of agree that's where with that. Yeah. I kind of agree with that, that criticism. It seems out of character for the Doctor... To just say, "Oh, great! You're increasing the workforce in this." In this, I've got no purpose. problem with that. Mm. In as much as, as far as I'm, I've worked with computers, and the computers are only as good as what you put into it. It's input mm. output, isn't it? Yeah, you know, the when they make mistakes, run these the people who run them, yeah, and absolutely. And this is why it gets even woollier because nobody's running the company, and the company therefore is running for the benefit of the people. The whole thing is, it's got lots of little allegories mm. that Polish workers the unemployment problem, the fact that it's a big company that pays minimum wage, the fact that its ethical policy 
is you know not worth the paper it's written on there are all, all these different allegories going on but it doesn't seem to apart yeah. from visually favoring that it's about amazon it doesn't actually seem to favor any of these allegories no, such that the workers are watched like hawks mm, so they have no personal freedom but why yeah, because the robots are really doing all is the that work. Just, is that just a kind of? Is that a red herring for us to think? Oh, it's the bad, the nasty yeah, yeah. corporation. But, it's been, but as JR said, it's being run by machinery mm. it, rather than because there is a line of dialogue that that sort of that is ameliorating to the doctor's actions, and the doctor says that it's not the computer's fault; mm. it's the people that run the computers. Okay. That's the first line case, of my review. In this case, rather than the computers being run by the company, mm. the computers are running the company, which means that eff- effectively the people in the company are, you know, electrons on a circuit board. Yeah, yeah. And they can't be... Actually, yeah. have and any resistance. As far as that Big Brother thing, that's down to the management enforcing yeah. that. Yeah, so that yeah. makes sense. And it's a good twist as well. So you see the you see the, well, the, the shift manager or whoever he was who gave the impression of being the, the baddie at one point. Yes. And actually, Everybody gets And actually, it, yeah. he's just displaying free will. He's the one of the, the few humans to display free will. Oh, that was the he's funniest the scene in the whole thing. Oh, so you're not actually the bad guy. No, I'm the good guy. Oh, so you must be the bad guy. No, I'm also the good guy. Mm. I just didn't tell this good guy that I was the good guy because they didn't tell me that they were the good guy. Mm. Uh, I don't know whether that was supposed to be as funny as it was. Having said that, <laughs> my whole point is yes. though that somebody had this great idea, mm. but unlike in say Oxygen from uh, last year, where they had a single idea and they played that single idea through, I think what seems to me has happened here is they've had an idea and then they've said, "Oh, we could incorporate this idea and this idea and this idea and this idea," but once you've incorporated all the other ideas then the central idea becomes either so watered down or so twisted out of its original intention that it doesn't seem to say anything anymore. And this is why you've got these complaints, because I don't think these complaints are totally founded. Mm. But then I don't think they're totally wrong either. No. And mm. you could make complaints in the opposite direction, which mm. wouldn't be totally founded, but they wouldn't be completely wrong either. Mm. So the at the end of the day, you've got to ask, apart from saying working conditions in Amazon aren't great, and that would be enough in itself if that's what the story was saying. Mm. But that's just a, a side issue to the rest of the story that's going on. What is this episode actually saying? But I think, I think this is my point about this series not being about the bigger picture. It's being it's about the little picture. So the, the fact that all of these things don't quite connect up here, whereas in a Stephen Moffat story, all of this, would, all of all of the overarching thing would be intricately connected, and the con- concept would be driven through the episode. But the, here, it's all about the individual characters. It's about mm, Lee Mack's mm. story. It's but about it's about in the, all the other episodes, story. they've been telling stories about the little people to illustrate a bigger story. Well, here, I'm not sure if they have. Well, they certainly did in Rosa. And they certainly did in. Yeah, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. This is my point. I'm not sure if they are telling the little stories to illustrate the bigger story. I think they're. I, think, I don't think there's any question. I think they're. They I think the bigger story is the setting for these smaller scale stories. That it's almost like the background, like last week's Demons of the Punjab. I think partition wasn't the story. I think it was the story of the brothers. Yes, I, but the story of the brothers the, was an allegory for partition. Yeah, but I don't. But I'm not. I'm not sure if that's a big part of it. I don't think it is an allegory. 
I think it's well, just... Chris Chibnall said he wanted setting. to do a story about partition, and that was how they chose to tell it. Did he say he wants to do a story about partition? Yes. Or a story set during partition? No, about partition. Well, I don't think it was about partition. Well, Because I think it was about these two brothers. And yes, I think that's an allegory for partition. I think you're right. I think you're both right in as much as... This is typical. Oh, by the way, that answered my other question that I asked a few weeks ago. Who came up with the idea for Rosa, Chris Chibnall or Mallory Blackman? Chris Chibnall did. He said, these are the two stories that I wanted to tell. The story of Rosa Parks and the story of Partition. Right. Okay. I was going to say that the the, the brothers tell the emotional story. Yeah. But Partition is is the setting and that is the history lesson I suppose of the episode and, but it's also the allegory because the two yeah. brothers are falling on either side of the border there is a, yeah what happens to them is a symptom of partition well not just a symptom of it's an allegory for mm. well why is it an allegory for because because, because partition them is about taking a single country mm. and splitting it into two halves right and so you've got two brothers representing a single family and, which is being split into two halves and one brother kills the other brother so, well, the, so then the allegory kind of dies after that. How many people died during partition? Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm just I'm just saying that well, I, th- I think this series is less about less about the the big things being represented by the little things. I think it's more about the little things and the big things as a kind of a a placeholder for them, and the doctor as and the companions as being sort of spectators in these kind of small events that are happening. Well, I think we can take our own meanings from it. My my meaning that I take from it is that you get these big events and if you go down to the detail, you get these... It's essentially about people. It's all about people, yeah. these events. And that's where the connection is. Mm. So I think the two feed each other, is what I think. I think, they, also I think they can. I just Russell. don't think they're, very, they're feeding each other very successfully in this series, perhaps. Mm. Well, mm. I, mean, I think there's always a disconnect between... so. I mean, even even with the uh, oh, so, yeah. even with the ghost monument, it's a story about these two these two people in this race in a really hostile environment, and the hostile environment's kind of just there as a sort of a as a kind of a place for them to 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 run through, mm. and it's mm. about their competition, and it just doesn't feel like there's a connection between these the small stories and big stories, and I like the idea that. The series is focusing down on these small stories, but actually, I want more allegories. I want more meaning behind it. I don't know. The arachnids won. The arachnid. Well, the arachnids went the other way, and they they sort of hammered they hammered significance by actually referencing Trump and, and having a hotel. Rosa pretty much hammers significance. I don't think you can really argue with that. She and I don't think the whole, the whole fact that <laughs> what happened to her was a linchpin of history. Yeah, and that it's not of, like they don't mm, talk about what yeah, happened I mean, throughout I mean, the episode. Barely a minute goes I, by without them mentioning it. But as I it. said at the time, I think, yeah, it's about racism, and it's very clearly about racism. But it's not about racism today, it's about racism then. Racism well, there's a big then. conversation in it about racism today. Big conversation yeah, in it. But that's the argument we had back when we were talking about that it wasn't i didn't think it was about i didn't think they they connected enough with 
racism today and the the rise of the, the, the black right. guy and the Indian girl talk about the problems they have. There they were little they, conversation down an alleyway, though. I think I said, and, they, them. and they also the conversations I remember them having is uh, is Yaz talking about how she's a policewoman, and you know just hold on in there because some someday even Asians can become policewomen. But she says I'm a policewoman and I still get spat at. Well, yeah, but what's but. She's also got the opportunity. It's also about. It's also about but that's discovering your take the, of, the, the what you're above. taking from yeah, it, though, well, not what she's saying. Well, this is. It's all about our takes from the episode. It is because as far as this episode is concerned, what you're you saying. Know. Yes, but you, you, but you, you talking said to, as you if said to, you said to me that I have problems absorbing other people's other people's ideas. Well, of course I have. If they're not argued to me effectively, if I disagree with somebody, then I need them to to explain to me where that where that rationale is coming from. And so far... So when no, Yaz says people still me, spit at me because I'm Indian in a police but uniform... I think that, I think that, what the, do you think she's saying But to I you? think the takeaway from that episode was the doctor's speech at the end where she says, but look, look at Obama's speech. Look, at, there's, there's been a black president. Look, Rosa Parks has an asteroid named after her. She's a big figure. That's a positive takeaway. What we're left there with at the end of Rosa is a, a, is a positive thing about the present day. It's no, not a. That's it's a not positive a, day about. That's a positive takeaway about Rosa Parks's place. No, it's about a positive takeaway about the success of the civil rights movement. Yes, and it has been successful to a degree. But earlier in the episode, we learn about but the fact not, that it's still got a long way to not, go. But that's not the takeaway. The takeaway is the doctor's speech at the end. Where, where it's a big, optimistic... Yes, that's the takeaway about what's happened in that episode, but it's not the takeaway about what that episode's about. It's about it's the takeaway about how that episode connects to the present. How that episode oh. connects to the present is the, the, us showing, seeing Obama become president, the asteroid named after Rosa Parks. It's a coda about the person. It's a coda about the person. No, it's a coda about when, the success of the civil rights. Obama becoming president had nothing to do with Rosa Parks. Nothing. Well, except that she was symb- a symbolic first act in the or a symbolic major act in the civil rights movement. It's about the civil rights movement, but we shouldn't really be talking about Rosa. Mm-hmm. I'm, so, I'm sort of defending defending my right to disagree with people. But for me, this is but what, no, you're this not is defending what... your right to disagree with people. You're telling people that they're wrong. No, I'm not. Well, I'm, saying, I'm saying that I haven't been convinced. No, I haven't not. been convinced that the first episode's about Trump, or that that episode's about. No, but you're ruling it out. You're saying that because you haven't no, been no, convinced, I'm... you're ruling it out. No, I'm waiting for somebody to say the thing that convinces me. But, but you don't listen. Yes, I do. No, you don't, because I've just said a bunch of stuff, and you won't listen. You won't even let me speak. Okay. Let's do the email from Declan May. And okay. Shall we give it a score? I give it a seven. Just you give it a five. Well, yeah, aesthetically, I, I actually felt... I haven't felt embarrassment watching an episode since the McCoy days. This felt, this felt it, like... It, you... I had a really strong negative reaction to it. To this one? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, it didn't look very good. It wasn't no. the most exciting setting for a, I, I, a warehouse I, set on the moon. And I kind of, it kind of gets my back up when we turn up at a place and you get somebody who was in Coronation Street turn up and start explaining all about the company and what it's all about and all that sort of thing and all that Why stuff. Why Coronation coming... Street? Well, I don't know. Because because these known but, actors... But as expository dialogue goes, yeah, I thought this one was right. accept- yeah. just yeah. about acceptable because she was I'm not saying I'm right, I'm company. saying that's my reaction to it. Yeah. 
it just kind of it suddenly I found it underwhelming. Yeah, and and I... I, but but I I found it inoffensive. But I think inoffensive is the last thing. If you're going to tell these new stories and these different stories, mm. I want to be I wanted to do it with audacity and I want to be excited by it. Yeah. And at the moment I'm thinking either actually that's quite good because they got away with it or oh that was better than last week's or well that's all right they got away with it for another week well you I basically felt, saw felt excited watching it i felt excited waiting for these episodes but i haven't felt excited watching these episodes no for yeah. an episode that takes place in a warehouse that's the size of a moon there were lots of scenes of two people in small rooms lolloping about and chatting and occasionally getting ticked mm. off mildly mm. by a robot. And it's no surprise that last week you you thought this was the episode that would be set in Sheffield because this could have been the episode set, set in Sheffield. Well, I said in... Oh, I didn't say, but I implied in the review that it should have been because right. it's set on the planet Zog and I've, some people, what difference does it make to anybody? Uh, a lot earlier in this series people are saying, oh, this feels like Sarah Jane Adventures and this really felt... This felt like... Yeah, um, it did. Uh, was it, what was the, the very one? first one. The very Attack first of the one. Bane, is it? Yeah, yeah, Attack of the Bane where you've got this logo in it and it's kind of... Is like a CBBC. I don't mind that. Doctor Who should be a bit like Sarah Jane Adventures. Yeah, it should be a bit like it, but it's the aesthetic and it, it was kind of the kablam and the logo and everything like that. And it was, it just kind of made me cringe. And I just thought, how how does this stand up against like American dramas? And, and yeah, was, a lot of people have gone away from this one saying it's the best or among the best of the series. I know. But the other thing that's worrying me. And, and I was, yeah. I'm not saying for yeah, a moment is, they're wrong. This is yeah. my reaction to it. And and I've tried to be fairly objective all the way through this series because it isn't my kind of Doctor Who. But with this, I was kind of like, I literally had a kind of... The other thing that's worrying me is the same. I'm still worrying about it from last week. And this hasn't this hasn't like eased that. That we're now, what, three episodes away from the season finale? Mm. And the season finale is sounding like it's going to be... It's called about the Revenge the of Sog or something. And it's going to be it? about the characters. This isn't about, this isn't going to be about, like, this isn't going to be a sort of Stephen Moffat, Cecil and Gallifrey thing. This mm. is going to be about mm. the individuals and their journey as characters. And this is another episode where we haven't really seen well, that much. We had one moment between um, Hugh Flip and Graham. Uh, spoiler alert if mm. you don't know or want to know anything, don't listen for the next 10 seconds. They've already said the three companions are all going to be in the New Year special because it's about their return to Sheffield. So where's the peril in episode 10? It's just going to be another bog-standard mid-season episode. Well, okay, you even, can listen again now. It's not, <laughs> it's not even... You're listening again, but it's not even about peril. It's about, I want <clears> some sort of... I want some sort of conclusion to a bigger story. And And what I thought when this series started was we were going to get these characters. We were going to get... Oh, I can't remember his name. Who's the companion's name? Yaz, Graham and... Ryan. 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 Yeah. I thought Ryan and Graham were going to sort of clash, develop, and we see little bits of that still in this episode. There was, a, there was a look. Sort of, yeah. And that was the Ryan and Graham moment. It still feels like it's sort of compartmentalising its character moments. But... There's Every no... episode you get 10 seconds of Ryan and Graham. This this episode could have been shown in the second or third position in the series. They're just sort of interchangeable. There was another thing with this episode, you know, you know the bit where Graham gets gets a job as a cleaner. And I could tell, you know, that was supposed to be a funny 
nod, you know, to say, well, older people, you know, I, I'm guessing that all oh, that's all they're good for is giving them a cleaning job or something like that. Mm. But, which, but the doctor, which, but that was the doctor, which is a good point to make. Yeah. But I, the the sorry. episode was so mundane that it kind of. It didn't make a point. Felt... Plus, also, they switched jobs and they actually gave the doctor the cleaning job after discovering she's got two hearts and reading her mind. Which is, which is interesting, but that's interesting in a sense because I read this, this is somebody else's idea. That they wanted idea. to get rid of her. No, because the, the computer assigns the jobs and the computer knows who the bad guy is. So they gave the uh, doctor the job yeah. next to the bad guy. Yeah, but then in a series that's been so on the nose, for that to be the case, they would have pointed it out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and as for where they were working with, they got those conveyor belts. It looked like something from the Generation game, you know. And these, they're wrapping a thing up in bubble wrap, and it was just like. But it was quite well, boring. Again, it was sort of, I don't know why. I just felt incredibly embarrassed for it. For setting things why. up and paying them off, there's this whole thing about nobody must get on a conveyor belt. But then the only time they do is during that sequence where they go down the chute. Yeah. So, the, oh the, my god! The and how about, long did that scene? How long did it take for him to get in that shoe? There's something about oh laser, laser beams in there as well, which mm. might be which, a bit weird. I'm but the whole point about not course. getting on the conveyor belt was not after you've already gone down the chute and you've already broken God knows how many rules first. The whole point about the conveyor belt thing is, if you're going to pay that off, you've got to pay that off before you break the other rules, because otherwise it's just irrelevant. Yeah. But also, it's the same with level nine nine nine. And what there were people being killed on level nine nine nine, and nothing came like of that. that. But nothing really. You had Lee Mack being sort of disappeared. And then there were odd things like two months ago, two people got disappeared. One month ago, one person got disappeared, and now they're four. It's accelerated, and I'm like, well, no. If it was accelerating, it would be two, then three, then four. But if it was two, then one, then four, it's just three random numbers until you get a fourth number, which can start to set a pattern. So it's not really accelerating. It's just, there were just like lots of odd things like that, which felt like somebody had had a good idea and they didn't quite know what to do with the idea mm. or else it got sidetracked by another idea. Mm. It was fun. It was entertaining. It was about on a level with everything else this year for me, but. Anyway, Matt, you're the only one who's not given it a score. Seven. All right. Six. No, but I'm, no, it's my old problem of I, I started this series <laughs> with too high a score. And I really want to downgrade, downgrade everything apart from the Punjab episode. I, was seven. I just, I was just thinking to myself, this whole idea of going back to basics and going back to like Harnell ideas and all this sort of thing and changing the role of the Doctor, that's all well and good. And I, I have no problem with that. It's when it's when that way of looking back at the series feels like regression rather than well, that's, progression. That's why I'm constantly trying to turn things down because at the beginning of the series I thought, well, this is a new step. Yeah, this could be good if they if they have the guts to go for it and they really push this through. Then then the woman who fell to birth, it is like a seven or an eight mm. rated episode. Mm. But because they haven't actually. Everything Woman Who Fell to yeah. Earth just becomes a standalone episode that hasn't gone anywhere. And that's less powerful. If it was the start of a new way of telling Doctor Who stories, then it is a really it's a really pivotal, exciting episode. But it's not. Well, it sort of is. But it's just that the new way of telling Doctor Who's, Doctor Who stories doesn't feel like it has a particular whatever it is. It doesn't have teeth. 
It doesn't. So, well, I mean, it does because it's bringing these issues up, and Doctor Who. But I don't has never brought up as many issues as directly as this. But I don't think it knows what to do with it, and I don't think it's doing what they're intending. It's only telling us what we already know. I don't think it's doing what they're intending to do with it, which is really building these the emotions or telling the stories out of the emotions of these characters. Well, when you it's kind of just. When you bring up issues like this, the idea is that you're changing people's minds out on the street. But it just seems to... But they're so on the nose with it, they've kind of polarised it into, if you already agree with these things, then fine. And if you don't, you're probably shouting, why has Doctor Who gone so PC? Mm. And so... Oh, somebody's about to pop some bubble wrap. Can you do it just a little bit further away from me? Mm. No, it's all... It's all, pop- it's all popped, popped already. Yeah. <clears throat> all right, Declan May's email, which is probably just basically going to repeat all the things we've been saying for the last few weeks. I suspect. I suspect he says, "Dear J.R. Simon Lee and Matt." Well, that's that's actually yeah, that's wrong. Okay, <laughs> he says, "Well, you asked for it. You said nobody really writes to podcasts anymore, so here it is. You've only yourselves to blame, really." I didn't think anybody listened to podcasts anymore. <laughs> Having been an avid listener to the Blue Box podcast ever since the very beginning, and having heard your most recent episode, Discussion of Demons, in which you ostensibly discussed the most recent episode, Demons of the Punjab, but more generally talked about the brewing feelings and nagging suspicions that oh, nagging suspicions you'd all been trying your best to articulate about this most recent iteration of Doctor Who, specifically Chris Chibnall's version of Doctor Who, his stewardship of the show, his writing and showrunning skills, and this was what struck me the most about your discussion, especially as I had been trying to find a way of articulating this myself, whether his heart was in fact in it. This is going to be an email where he says everything four times, isn't it? (coughs) Is that like... Is that like Bernard Cribbins knocking four times? Well, I hope not. <laughs> I don't want to regenerate. Okay. <clears throat> Are you volunteering to regenerate? No, no. Okay. No, no. We've already regenerated one. You used to be called Mark. Yeah. He carries on. I'm going to take a drink of water because I could be here for a while. He carries on and says... Now, I'll put my cards on the table as a way of attempting to head off any of the usual common accusations and allegations. Like you, I have nothing but utter disdain of and contempt for those squalid and suspiciously motivated types who accuse Doctor Who in specific and culture in general of pandering to political correctness, as if being politically correct, itself just a synonym for tolerance and kindness, is a bad thing or the tool of some liberal elite exercised by a biased BBC. I have noticed, by the way, that both the left and the right attack the BBC for the same reasons, i.e. the BBC is either too left-wing or too right-wing. Everyone attacks the BBC these days. They'll bloody miss it when it's gone, I can tell you. Anyway, what I want to say is that I am scornful of those who accuse Doctor Who of being some sort of vessel for socially and culturally motivated agenda or trying to sell some species of culture for social justice warriors. Again, what is wrong with social justice anyway? Or by trying to force some buyers. Those who constantly recycle this ridiculous, canard and facile, ill-informed argument ought to be treated as the bigots they are. Basically, 
what they are saying is they don't want a woman as the doctor, they don't want modern-day Britain accurately portrayed on their TV screens, and they don't like to see anyone other than themselves, i.e. white men, let's be honest, reflected back at them. I am someone who, as perhaps you know, is and has always been passionate and excited about the idea of a female doctor. When Jodie Whittaker was announced as the 13th Doctor, I was absolutely overjoyed. In fact, I don't think I've ever been more engaged or enthused about the announcement of any actor being given the role of the titular Time Lord, especially an actor of the calibre and pedigree of Jodie Whittaker. This was, I felt, the perfect choice. This is a point I will, if I may, return to shortly. It is, I think, germane to this discussion. Just trying to work out where he starts. Okay, about another three paragraphs before Wait, he starts. Before he starts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, this is the introduction. He's okay. drawing in the background here. Okay, well, it's cool. It's really well written. <clears throat> A bit too overwritten, no? I'm not saying anything. Okay. Second, yeah, but you were reading a book. No, it's a magazine. I was reading... Okay, um, you were reading a magazine. magazine. (laughs) Sorry. That's what I felt like doing last night's episode, anyway. Mm -hmm. All right, off it now, Simon. Sorry. Sorry. I like that episode. (laughs) Well, I didn't dislike it. Secondly, I have long been a fan of Chris Chibnall, an unfashionable view, an unfashionable view perhaps, but I consider, for example, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship one of the best episodes of televised Doctor Who as there has ever been. It is. And one of the most perfect encapsulations of what Doctor Who is about. It's not, but, but it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you show that episode to someone who has never seen or even heard of the show before, and you have everything which is weird, wonderful, unique, and quintessentially strange about Doctor Who. The episode has everything in its right place, and is still in my top five of Doctor Who stories of all time. Am I sensing Declan's big butt (laughs) (laughs) approaching like a steam train? (laughs) Yeah, but it's only down at the bottom of this second, of the first of the three and a half pages. At least he isn't written in the style of James Joyce. That's not that far away. (laughs) There are lots of scent... No, I can't. Let's carry on, shall yeah. we? Because otherwise... It's... Also... It could, it could have been from... Writing on parchment's a bit much, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, especially in Sanskrit. I'm having to translate this as I go. Yeah. And is, that, is it blood he's written it in? <laughs> this episode... Oh, no. Also, in regard to the work of Mr Chibnall, I found Broadchurch, especially the third series, to be one of the finest pieces of British television drama I have ever seen. With everything from its writing to the casting and incredible production values... Nothing short of exceptional. This is something too I will return to shortly. Now I've gotten that out of the way, and I hope you will excuse the lengthy preamble, but it is relevant. Oh my god. Right, that is about a sixth of the email. I will attempt to articulate my views in relation to your own about the 2018 iteration of Doctor Who. It's worth reading this out, though, because I'm sure lots of people are feeling versions of this. This is something that I imagine you guys have an issue with, trying to find a good way of articulating this without sounding like one of those ghastly, embittered and entitled fanboys of a similar type to the ghastly specimens who, for example, demand fan edits of The Last Jedi on spurious and sinister pretexts, and who, during RTD and Moffat's stewardship of the show, we all of us had such horror of. 
Over the years, I have heard and enjoyed listening to your eloquent and intelligent discussions, arguing and refuting the rather predictable criticisms of RTDs and Moffat's Doctor Who, as well as conceding the points where you believe both got things wrong. This is called healthy critique, and the reason I enjoy the Blue Box podcast so... So much is not because... Oh no, and the reason I enjoy the Blue Box podcast so, so much is not because I think my views chime with yours, they don't always, often yes, but not always, but because it's important, when discussing any art, to have informed, fact-based, point-by-point discussion. Also, an emotional response is equally important, and you, as, and you have always been both subjective and objective on the Blue Box. <coughs> That sounds like a euphemism for what you do in that little room downstairs where you keep your Oscars or your swimming medals from when you were five. <coughs> I've lost my place. Monologuing. No, that's what no, Declan's I, no, I doing. Heard, I heard monologuing as, an, as a euphemism for going to the toilet. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it was used as a euphemism for like, going to the toilet. That sounds like a case of constipation. Yeah. A monologue, a monologue, just a single log. Yeah. Yes, monologue's the opposite, obviously, of yeah. dialogue, which is when you just got the runs, yeah. which is not really a log at all. Let's get back to Declan, because we'd be here all night. Mm. <laughs> Otherwise, this podcast might have gone the way of so many others, so much driftwood floating off down the river. This is why I decided to entrust my opinions to you. I don't use social media, and therefore I'm not party to any of those brief but tempestuous eight-minute wars on Facebook or Twitter. He's, he says that, but he just means he's unfriended all of us. I don't possess a blog or write a column and have no other outlet for my opinions on Doctor Who. Not that anyone might be necessarily interested. I've voiced these opinions now to you because, and this is important, I know that you will take it apart, refuting it, discussing it if necessary, or simply taking the piss out of it. I just added that bit myself. <coughs> <laughs> Because that's what we always do with emails. Yeah, yeah. With the skill and range of views that you would with anyone who, say, said something similar about RTD or Moffat. We could argue until the cows come home whether or not Moffat era lasted perhaps a year or two too long, but we could never say he made the show boring. Which is why, when I say that I find the current series to be something of a noble failure, a qualified failure, I know that you, J.R., Simon, Lee and Matt will treat my criticisms as you have any others, in context and with intelligence and skill. Did he send this to the right people, by yeah, the way? Skill's not <laughs> ever used on this. Did he ever use skill at school as a euphemism for going to the toilet? No, it was a bit like Wicked, wasn't it? And skill. Okay. Right, it shows your age difference, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. Okay, so now... Here's a thought experiment. Imagine the story, The Eleventh Hour. The TARDIS crash lands in a little girl's garden, the police box lying on its side. The doors open, the music mounts, a pair of hands appear, and up pops Jodie Whittaker. Have you an apple? All I can think about are apples. Maybe I'm having a craving. Now, imagine the next few scenes running exactly the same way as they did, except it's Jodie in that kitchen instead of Matt Smith. That would work brilliantly. Not a line would need changing or altering. Jodie Whittaker is the Doctor. Now, try and picture the episode Smith and Jones. Again, 
exactly the same, except it's Jodie in that hospital on the moon with the Jadoon instead of David Tennant. Again, I can't think of one scene that might need changing or altering, and yes, the kiss by a data exchange scene between the Doctor and Martha would remain intact, at the risk of annoying the homophobes, UKIP voters and Brexiteers, mission accomplished. Jodie Whittaker is the Doctor. Further back, Rose. Imagine the scene in the basement of the store, shop dummies closing in on Billy Piper, the Doctor grabs her hand, and instead of Chris Eccleston, it's Jodie Whittaker. You get the point. <clears throat> right, you do chat. I need a drink break. Oh, I agree. Uh, well, I agree. I agree. Particularly the 11th hour. Crime. Yeah. Not so convinced by Rose. I think there is something different in Eccleston's, not that scene, but Eccleston's turn of the earth scene, which requires, I don't know, something, I don't want to say gravitas, but... That's what you mean. No, maybe it's his age. Maybe it requires somebody older. It's so equally that's in line with where the Doctor was in his own personal story yeah. as well, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah, you're right. So Jodie Whittaker's more suited to a Doctor who's actually... She has know, a lot fresh, mm. But she could have done it, I'm sure. Yeah, she mm. could have, but mm. not Jodie Whittaker's Doctor as it is at the moment. Uh, well, yeah, but maybe that's the point it's going to come to. I don't know. We'll see. Basically... The question of whether the Doctor is played by a woman or a man is irrelevant. In fact, to be more specific, the question rephrased to, as to whether Jodie Whittaker was the right choice to play the Doctor, is immediately answered by just imagining her in those stories. Those stories I mentioned were, to all intents and purposes, stories which relaunched the series' soft and hard reboots, so to speak. The 2005 relaunch, the soft relaunch following Billy Piper's exit, and the Moffat reboot in 2010. Any one of those work any one of those could have worked just as successfully with a Jody. The actor's gender had nothing whatsoever to do with it. However, just as this thought experiment illustrates and answers that question, it also throws into stark relief one of the many problems, in my view, of Chris Chibnall's new version of Doctor Who. Namely, in the hands of another writer and showrunner. Jodie Whittaker would have been able to soar. Perhaps one who has more investment in the show. One who, I'm sorry to say, and despite my earlier claim to be a fan of Chibnall's work, is a more skilled writer, script editor and differently skilled showrunner. It pains me to say this because I so much want it to succeed, but I fear that with so much of the scaffolding of Doctor Who missing or AWOL in this revamp, the show runs the risk of becoming something that is Doctor Who in name only. Something to which you intimated last time in in your discussion last week. <clears throat> the scaffolding is, in my view, such things as returning monsters, or the Daleks at least, arguably as much a part of the show's DNA as the TARDIS itself, and as well as being a reassuring familiar element, the Daleks are something which engage the general audience and the casual viewer. Story arcs, or some continuing cohesive theme which runs through the episodes, including the personality, depth and history of the Doctor's character, and an engaging use of the TARDIS, instead of it becoming just a vehicle, a device to get the characters from A to B, as it seems to have become in this series. It is, or was, a character in itself. Plus, from any objective standpoint, including in the opinion of those who have worked on the series, it looks terrible. But that's besides the point. Character arcs seem to have taken their place instead. Which is fine, but that aside, therefore, that means there's very little in the way of a coherent through-line. 
I mean, it's true. Moffat and Davis both had a character arc and a science fiction arc. Yeah. I mean, there's, I don't think there's anything wrong in stripping things away so long as you replace it with something that's engaging or new. Mm. And that's why I was excited that he'd stripped things away in the first episode. Because you thought there was going to be because something else. there was going to be something mm. filling the vacuum. But there just... Doesn't isn't. seem to be. There's now. been a couple of episodes which have felt sorry. Carry on, Declan. Well, no, I, I, I don't. I don't think it's that he hasn't replaced it. In as much as the thing he's replaced it with is something that was essentially already there, because I think what he's done is stripped away the science fiction arc to replace it with a character arc. But like I say, the character arc was already there. It was just a question of balance. So I think by taking one away entirely. Mm throws the balance so much in the other direction and 10 seconds here and two minutes there of Ryan and Graham is not filling that gap, is it? No. Because that is all it is at the moment. Mm. 10 seconds here and two minutes there. But then this is Doctor Who, so what can you have? You can't have Ryan and Graham in a room talking for 50 minutes. But it doesn't advance, is the point. Like you were saying earlier, it's still at the same place now as it was in episode two, really. Mm. He says the writing... I'll come back to that in more detail, but the res- i tell you what, though, before I carry on, we might get to episode 10 and say, oh, so that's what it was all about. Hopefully. Hmm. And, you know, that might change everything. But at this point... Hopefully. It's becoming yeah, increasingly less likely. Less likely. That's, my, that's my fear. That's why I'm slowly getting more and more sort of Anxious down on the series. But you never know. Sometimes that's the best way to do it, to lull you into a sense that you're not going to get the thing you think you want or yeah. the thing you didn't realise you want until you got it and then yeah. to give it to you. Yeah. Who knows? He did that in Broadchurch. I thought in Series 1 of Broadchurch and in very much in Series 2 and in Series 3, I thought watching the first seven episodes of each of those, he's never going to resolve this in a satisfactory way. Each time he did. And in fact, Series 2 was pretty dull and it was the only the last episode of that that saved it. Mm. Series 2 is the one where, um, well, he doesn't, at the end of the series, he has that sort of ambiguous ending mm. where it, the onus goes back onto the people. And I thought that was the only way that series could have ended satisfactorily. And yet it never looked like it was going to go in that direction until right at the very last minute. And I thought that pulled a rabbit out of a hat. So it's not like he can't. No, no, no. It's just like it looks really like he's not going to. But then it did in Series 2 of Broadchurch, so... I don't know, who knows? Maybe in three weeks' time we'll be having a completely different conversation. Anyway, back to Declan and back to the scaffolding of Doctor Who. The writing, I'll come back to that in more detail, but the writing has the distinct whiff of a first draft about it, or poor script editing. This is, if I might add, not the view of someone who is just the television equivalent of a backseat driver, or armchair writer maybe, but the view of someone who has been a professional writer for almost 20 years, film and TV, as well as published. Every episode, in my view, could have benefited with at least another pass. A few more passes, tidying up the loose ends, the dialogue and the narrative improbabilities. Content Appropriate Production Values The beautiful and expensive production values are all fine and good. The show, from an objective standpoint, has never looked better. But when the material itself is so lacklustre, it has the effect of something like Thunderbirds filmed with the production values of Black Mirror. Or, for an example closer to home, the Sarah Jane Adventures filmed with the gloss and scored with the music of Broadchurch. 
Actually, that's pretty much exactly what it is. Yeah. And by the way, the music this week was like Kef McCulloch. What was going on? It wasn't. There were like orchestral stabs and Mm. drum rolls and Mm. things. It was just shocking. I like Kef McCulloch. I do. I like Kef McCulloch. Yeah, he's a nice bloke, but his music is terrible. I like his music. Drinks Matt Dawning is really catchy. Okay, <laughs> the fact that I, I mean, know it's called Drinks Matt Dawning. Mm-hmm. Right, anyway, Declan's at the end of his... I won't be rude to you while I'm sitting in your house, Matt. Okay. <clears throat> <laughs> You're going to leave that to me. He's, the, the scaffolding has come to the end of that list. He carries on. The alteration in production style, budget, music, etc. would all have worked well and to the show's evident advantage if, and the if is important... It had come, say, midway through the tenure of an existing actor in the role of the Doctor, where there were enough familiar elements, but to have changed all at once and in one fell swoop those aspects, as well as production style, showrunner, tone, music, time slot, series length, episode shape, story emphasis, number of companions from a single companion, and introduction of a new Doctor, well, the faults start to show more clearly. Parallels have been drawn with Season 7, i.e. Pertwee, Unit, Earthbound, New Production Team, Full Colour, etc. And maybe that's what they were going for. But crucially, the writing was strong. I don't know if he's going to say this, but it reminds me more of Season 18, when J&T took over, and if it hadn't been for Chris Bidmead, and I think Chris Bidmead was dull as ditch water anyway, there was no coherent vision for the show. He just changed everything up because it was there to be changed. And lost, in his case, lost half the viewership. Mm. But the viewership was going anyway, thanks to Buck Rogers. That's an argument for another time. Declan carries on. Hang on. Okay, the start of this sentence is weird. I'll just go with it and see if it works. This is the James Joyce bit. It might well be. In fact, remains that, in the past, and in the hands of another writer or showrunner, any one of these elements missing, we might not have noticed their absence as much. However, when so, so much has changed, and I get the distinct impression it's changed for change's sake, and the writing isn't strong enough, nor the plot's engaging enough, for the audience the production team say they're intended, and that's an important distinction, it all then falls apart. As I... I'm not sure that's true, though, because the general audience, the general public, mm. seems to be... It has to be said, the viewing figures, this is the first week when this hasn't happened, viewing figures have been going down week on week, but they've still got a long way to go before they get anywhere like where they've started from. There's not enough season left for the viewing figures to completely collapse. No. So, in fact, there's, gonna... there's no way this there's going to be anything other than... a Massive success. Massive raising no. success. And they've actually jumped up a bit this week anyway by about a third of a million. Yeah. Um, which which the comments below the news of that. I saw some comments below the Doctor Appreciation Society saying ratings up this week. And one of the comments said, so, typical, if you move it to a different slot, it's always going to go downhill. Which is a response to ratings going up. They're just... <laughs> Some people said, oh, it's because it's 6.30 and because it had children in need. But I can't see either of those things would have made a huge amount of difference. You'd have thought they'd have offset each other, in fact. I think it's just really easy to watch. 
Mm. And it's yeah. in the right place in the week, and it's just capturing, you know, a family audience, mm. which is it's kind good, of what, it's a what good you fix, want, isn't it? I, I do wonder how it's going to fare in the pantheon. Well, I watched this one Doctor with Who's. my partner. She's not watched it since early in Moffat's run. She hates it, and she hated Moffat. She said, mm. "I couldn't understand what was going on," and I would say that's because she didn't want to, because she didn't really like Doctor Who. Engage with it, yeah. But she said, "Oh, I could sit and watch that. It was simple, easy to follow." <sighs> and well, <laughs> well, I think that is a personal choice. You yeah. either because I don't think Moffat's really hard to follow. I think you either choose to follow it or not. Yeah, yeah. But I think lots of people want to switch off and so choose not to follow it mm. and so get lost by it. And so this is Doctor Who for people who choose not to turn on and watch, if you know what I mean. There's a place for television that you can just switch off to. Mm. And yes, it's a personal preference that I have for Doctor Who to be something that you don't just switch off to. Mm. You watch. And so for me, that's a quality quality assessment. I need to engage with the television because I don't get... Or what spare time I have, I have so many things that I do with my time anyway. So when I watch something, I want something that's going to really engage me. Satisfy you, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I don't want something that, like last night's episode, where I literally started thinking about... And I, I made the mistake... Whether of, a text had come up on my phone or something while it was on. It was so just, I've made the mistake of watching Hellbent listen day of the day of the doctor oh, wow. my three favorite this, episodes this, this week, is it really um so i i just some reason i had this like craving to just go onto iplayer the barn and start trilogy. watching watching capaldi and and old old doctor who hmm. again and i think that craving is coming from you know i'm trying to fill something that's lacking i d- i do sorry to sorry. go on a Sidebar. We'll get back to it. Yeah, um, we're on the, the last page now. Um, we're the more children than in need. Third. The children in need clip, where the little girl. Oh, I've not seen was, it yet. Oh, have you not seen? Was assisted by Brosis and no. she and she meets Jodie and the crew, and I was really moved by it. And I just thought the magic is still there. Yeah, and potentially the magic's still there, but I'm not feeling it in the series. And then you read the comments underneath it on oh, Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> I just actually yeah, despair. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> I despair. I really do. Oh God. Yeah, I can imagine. Mm. I don't want to, but let's move on then. Um, back to Declan. He says, as I hinted at before, oh, just I was just going to say, I don't think the magic's gone. I think it's just that the magic's sort of uh, translucent. Yeah, it's watered if, down. Yeah, in some way. Yeah, it feels like they've forgotten. It feels like the it's. It feels like it's Russell T Davis making that first series in 2005. And it's like nobody's made Doctor Who before. And you're kind of winging it and hoping that it's going all right. But it's just not... It's just not quite as successful as Russell T. Davis was in Mm. 2005. For me. And this is, as I said back at the start of the series, I said, I'm sure I said, I think this is a reaction to... Oh, no, I said it in a review, I think. I said I think this is a reaction to the fact that we've had 13 years of it. So he's ruling out doing what they've been doing for 13 years. So it's almost like, rather than learning from those 13 years and taking the best bits, mm. it's like he's taken those 13 years and said, no, we can't do it like that. Mm. Which makes it feel like the new one is deliberately not doing the best bits. Yeah, yeah, and I... I kind of respect that, but at the same time, that last Stephen Moffat series, the series he didn't 
mm. necessarily know he's going to have. It's kind of a blueprint for kind of like if you're trying to do that kind of who that's stripped back and very straightforward and he was doing it. Mm. You've only got to take your foot off the pedal a little bit on some of the dialogue and things like that and you get that fresh, mm. fun series. Yeah. But then people are loving it. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's yeah. annoying. <laughs> it's not annoying. It's a really good. It's no, really good. I, that it's really popular. I, you know, when I was reading the comments of the episode last night, you know, I kind of felt a, li- a little bit lonely because I just thought, wow, because I didn't get any. Cause you're an idiot. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, as I hinted at before, says Declan, I feel that Jodie Whittaker is being ill-served by this material. She really isn't given the chance to be her own unique version of the Doctor. The Doctor as a character isn't really given much to do. It really does pain me to say this because I wish the series nothing but the very best, but I can't help but think that this really isn't Doctor Who anymore, or at least the Doctor Who we are used to ever since the show returned. Oh yeah. And maybe, he says, this is no bad thing. For a show that thrives on change, a show which has always been ostensibly a show for children, the fact that it is not connecting with me, a 40-year-old man, perhaps means it's time for me to grow up. I understand and appreciate that this isn't aimed at me. I mean, why should it be? I'm hardly the target demographic or audience. Trouble is, now, I'm not entirely sure who it's aimed at. Who is Chibnall's Doctor Who for? I've heard your comparisons with the first ever series of the show back in 1963, and I think you're right there. Of course, we're a long way from what television was back then, back when the first Doctor took his audience proxies, a duo of teachers, aboard his marvellously weird spaceship. And maybe that's what Chibnall is doing now, attempting to recapture that innocent magic from a simpler time. The echo of remembered wonder transplanted to the 21st century. However, nowadays it seems we don't even have that marvellously weird spaceship, and we've had 50-plus years of character development, world-building, evolution in dramatic storytelling styles, and children are much better informed than they were back in our parents' and grandparents' day, and used to a different type of storytelling, and so on. Maybe we, as as older fans as fans of a certain type of Doctor Who, are reading too much into this. Maybe we're talking about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, when what the show actually is, is galloping galaxies. Maybe. To stretch an analogy, or do I mean metaphor, it's as if we're dissecting the show as Game of Thrones, when really the show is Wizards vs. Aliens. (laughs) If that's the case, then why is Wizards vs. Aliens filmed with the production values of American Gods and called Game of Thrones, featuring characters from Game of Thrones. You can see why someone might be confused. Oh, he's, yes, see what you mean. He's saying if it is Wizards versus Valians rather than Game of Thrones, then why does it look like Game of Thrones? Mm. I didn't follow that for a second. <clears throat> As I've said, it seems sometimes that this show is called Doctor Who only because it's a sci-fi show about a time-travelling alien and her friends. There's a blue box called a TARDIS, and, well, the theme music is the same. Quick drink. You can hear me drying up on air, I'm sure of it. <clears throat> this is how to get um, your voice heard on the Blue Box podcast without interruption. Although we are interrupting him, I suppose. We, we certainly are. <clears throat> I timed this 
when I get home, when I mix it down, I'll time it and find out just exactly how long it took us to get through this email. Yeah, and then I've got to get up at seven tomorrow. <clears throat> You've got to get up at three, obviously. No, I don't. I'm not working tomorrow, oh, but I have okay. been up since two this morning. Oh wow! So I've been up. Well, that's got to be about twenty hours by now. Mm. So he says, but the viewing figures are fantastic. Though I have the suspicion, which you yourselves have articulated, that that may be more to do with the show's relocation to Sunday nights. We'll find out, possibly. I sincerely hope the show does well, and am despairing of the sense of schadenfreude some fans revel in, those who crow about hoping Whittaker fails, for all the obvious and odious reasons. But again, I still don't know what this show is and who it is for. This show, filled with earnest, on-the-nose, but thoughtful and kind messages, and above all, the 13th Doctor is just following the 12th instruction from his pre-regeneration speech to be kind, which is, in my view, a good thing. But did it have to be done under gallons of admittedly well-filmed lumpen exposition delivered without clever verbal or visual footnotes, to be as earnestly in big chunks with dramatic music overlaid? With everything that was once subtext now suspect, huh? oh, with everything sense. that was once subtext now supertext, oh, okay. done so in such a shoddy, uninspiring manner that ill serves the actors delivering it, and I suspect insults the intelligence of the children to whom it is aimed. I hope he says the problem lies with me. Who knows, eh? Who knows, Declan May. <clears throat> I I I think it's somewhere in between, you know. Mm. I think I think he's aimed it at a general audience. He's done all this deliberately to engage a general audience, but that he's done it probably inadvertently at the expense of longer-term viewers. And I don't think that was deliberate. I don't think it can have been, but I think that's the effect it's having. And it just seems to be that it's a version of Doctor Who that's just harder to engage with if you know what Doctor Who is than if you don't, really. He is making Broadchurch in space. Mm. The rule of thumb says that these things become more extravagant as they go along. So when you start with a stripped-down thing like Casino Royale, the next one is always a little bit more, you know, free and extravagant, and then the next one. So I'm kind of looking forward to the second Chibnall season. And the third is, Chibnall season. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, we'll maybe talk about that another time. Yeah. How many times have we followed bands where they may have had two or three small, slow-burning, but brilliantly inventive albums that you absolutely love, and then they bring out an album which is incredibly commercial but incredibly popular, and all of a sudden they go sky high. You know, it's quite for me. It feels the same same as that. It feels like it becomes mm. watered down. It becomes not so much commercial, but I suppose it is. Maybe I don't know, but watered down enough that it's palatable for most tastes. So, yeah, but it's not. But the, the, the the problem there is: does it? It doesn't. Does it make anyone passionate about it? Because it's kind of just there. See, the thing is. Chibnall started with Born and Bred. Another television thing. There are certain things that people point out. Camelot, Torchwood. That's not Chris Chibnall. Chris Chibnall is Born and Bred. 
he's united, he's the great train robbery, and he's Broadchurch. He does character dramas with generally with well-known stories or scenarios. So the murder mystery in a sort of fairly isolated coastal location or born and bred the family business drama set in a village on the moors in the 50s or whatever it was he'll take a premise or a well-known story and he'll spin it into a character drama that's what he's doing here with Doctor Who it's like the people who moaned about the amount of funny dialogue when Stephen Moffat took over from Russell T Davis the sitcom dialogue Stephen Moffat was a sitcom writer. Mm. The BBC employed him to write Doctor Who, knowing he was a sitcom writer, and that they'd get sitcom dialogue. And for four or five years, it was hugely successful. The viewing figures that the first four years of Moffat get, beat for beat, almost exactly the same ones as Eccleston and Tennant got. And the BBC took on Chibnall, knowing they were going to get this, essentially, and it's worked for them. I think we just have to take it on the chin. Mm. Mm. I think we just have to say, okay, this is not Doctor Who for Doctor mm. Who fans. So as Doctor Who fans, it's not less. It's like you said, it's not less skilled. As I say, <clears throat> people think it's easy to write hit pop records. But it's, it's not. It's bloody hard. Yeah, and it's as hard as to do that as it is to be inventive and be original. So, in fact, sometimes it's harder because if your instinct is to write something for you, mm. and you're writing something for somebody else. It's harder to go against your instinct. Mm. I, I, there's me trying to second guess what his instinct is. So, mm-hmm. but, but they've employed him to write this Doctor Who. This Doctor Who is what he's writing, and it's worked. Well, like I say, I think we've just got to take it on the chin, and I don't think it's so bad that we've got to ride it out. I'm not waving. Yeah, I'm not waving. I'm not lighting any torches or mm. anything like that. Absolutely not. But we're not going to get the highs of Hellbent and Listen and the Day of the Doctor. Maybe till the next. Oh well, who knows? We might get to episode ten and get something that's a high like that. But if it's going to be like this, chances are we might not get a high like that for us. Mm. Until the next guy comes along, mm. whoever the next person is, Peter Harness, two years. But then you get an episode like Rosa. I mean, that could be, there could be another well, Rosa, which version, is that a bit more. I think it's always it's always going to take about a year to bed down in my head. Mm. And I think the Punjab episode and Rosa are the ones that are going to be the highlights. What of the the episode so far? Those are the ones I think. I'm gonna, I'm gonna think epitomise this series. Thing is, though, those two are the less typical ones. Yeah, typical of each other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. but that's the point. Mm. And this is why we got that email from Gary Akers or Gay Akers, as I accidentally uh, typed him up, because they're the ones that stand out. They're the ones that seem representative, but they only stand out because they're not representative. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. They're not representative of the series, but in a year's time, when I've forgotten about the Spiders episode and... They'll be the ones we remember. Saranga, yeah, the Saranga, yeah. I can't even remember the name of the Saranga conundrum. It's like you're Vincent and the Doctor and it's yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think we've been going for quite long enough. Next week we'll be back to talk about... Oh, the Gunpowder Plot episode. No, it's about witchcraft. Yeah, I know. 
We did get to see Alan Cumming, though, saying something at the end of the trailer, and I couldn't for the life of me hear what he was saying. He was speaking Scottish, was he? Alan Cumming. He's been in Doctor Who, of course, before. Not proper Doctor Who, though. He was in the Air Zone Solution. Oh, yes. I remember. (laughs) (laughs) Next week, we'll be back to talk about The Witch Hunters. Until then, I was JR. I was Matt. I was Simon. And we'll speak again soon.